When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hello everybody, it's me, Roscoe, and welcome to another Kings of Anglia Itches Town podcast, which is proudly sponsored by Manscaped, and I'm joined, as ever, by Stuart Watson and AJ. I'm back in the hot seat, Heafy is off to have a lie down after the weekend's result. Um, as you all know, uh, Town got beaten by Mainstone in the FA Cup. An uh, embarrassing result, but just one of those days, and fair play to Mainstone United. We're going to go through all that and all the other bits and bobs, as always. Uh, let's get the boys in. AJ Stu, how are you? AJ, come with you first. Um, yeah, a weekend to forget for town, but mm-hmm. just one of those days. Yeah, just one of those days. I think there's bigger news from the weekend, actually, which I'm sure we're going to get on to in a second. Um, yeah, good to maybe just have a, maybe just Sunday to reflect on that a little bit, because I feel like the emotions when you come straight out of that game and you don't have time to maybe sleep on it a little bit can be quite raw. But uh, yeah, good to have some time to reflect on that game. And um, just to do one big Manscaped plug as well, I came round to the press in the, the press room like some sort of strange Father Christmas delivering out some Manscaped goodies for you two that Mark had delivered to me in a Sainsbury's car park at 10 in the morning. Um, so hope you all enjoy those. And as Ross says, KOA for what is it? Uh, what's the discount again? I keep 20% forgetting. off. 20% and free off delivery. and free delivery. That is a really good deal. So I hope you two enjoy using my goodies that I've brought, courtesy of Mark. Yes, indeed. I literally forgot mine, didn't I? I left it under the desk and uh, you said to me... I had to carry it. This. I don't want yeah. to take this down to pitch side. Could you put it in your bag? So I had to um, had to take a, I don't know how to describe it, a carpet shaver, a pitch shaver, that was what Mark said, a pitch shaver up to the press box, which... Um, yeah, I'm quite happy that no one like spotted that. I'm like, what on earth is going on there? Um, so, yes, well done for remembering to take it, Ross. There's some slightly uh, bemused looks around that press room when Alex arrived. It was a, a packed press room, busier than <laughs> usual. Lots of national press there. Busiest of um, the season, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, I had to stand up for the presser at the end. So there was uh, there was no no available seat. So, lots of people there. And Alex arrives handing out ball, ball shavers. To everybody, and we were getting some bemused looks. You said you was um, sweating big time when you were getting your bags checked on on the way yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Um, that would have been a difficult one to explain, wouldn't it? Why you turned yeah, didn't up have to do that with, with three, <laughs> three just two grooming products, just, two. just your two, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I don't know how I would have done that. That that would have been the end of my professional career. I just would have gone into hiding from there. Would have gone to have lived out my days in a cave somewhere. To be fair, David, who um you know checks us in, he's um he's a good lad, so he will probably just gone. Oh, you know, where's mine? <laughs> he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have done that. That he would have been have slightly that. weird. That would have been even worse than me having yeah. to explain why I had them. I don't know, yeah. but yeah, thankfully that was all okay. And now you both have your new gift from Manscaped. So big. Alex, I have five of these now. This is the lawnmower 5.0. Uh, I... <laughs> 
they're fantastic products and don't get me wrong i'm sure there's some marginal gains with the new ones along the way but mm. i don't need five don't blame me mark gave them to me so Give they're away. not the sort of thing that you can gift to friends either. Like, oh, by the way, I've got an extra one of these. Do I you thought want of it? you. I thought of you, and I got you this. But yeah, it's, yeah, to... it's unboxed. I promise, I haven't used it. Yeah, I had to um, come through and bring those, so I got given those. And the Sainsbury's car park by Mark. And I do want to mention this as well because I think it's important. With that, I got given hundred pounds worth of Ipswich Town Club Shop vouchers, not for me, but for our prize winner um, who was on game day as well so that was um really nice to go and give those out so um big shout out to Lindsay who came on was delighted to see us delighted to win and if there's any ever a big reason to come subscribe is to win things like that we've given out a signed Amari Hutchinson shirt we've given out uh the new third shirt as well and uh, the latest one was the, the club shop vouchers different things all the time and you get a chance to meet Ross which is probably bigger than all of it combined and get to be on game day and take photos and all those kind of things so if there's ever a reason to subscribe that's why yeah just to see me definitely not, <laughs> yeah. not the prizes and everything like that but who um, wants but, yeah. 100 quid in the club shop yeah. when you can meet ross <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> anywho um actually segues though nicely on our first little subject of course we'll get on to the the cup defeat in a bit ladies and gentlemen but i want to talk about wes burns new haircut new trim because um he looks weird. Um, he's, you know, he's a handsome chap, but we've, we, we haven't really seen him ever. We do since we've, you know, when he signed in the summer. We're gonna chuck up a picture here of Wes Burns with a new trim. Um, when he signed for the club, he had long locks and he had the ponytail and everything. But now he's gone Connor Chapman style with his hair. It, do you know what? When I was watching him pitch side training, um, you know, warming up, I thought it was George Hurst for a second from from a distance. I was like, George Hurst is back. But uh, no, thoughts on Wes Burns' new hairdo. It's going to take some getting used to, that's for sure. Um, I hope in some strange way that didn't curse the the result at the weekend, like Samson losing his powers with uh, with his hair cut off. Um, yeah, whenever I'd seen old clips of Wes Burns playing for Fleetwood with, with short hair, it's, it's never felt right, has it? So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have to get, get used to that, I think, going forwards. Yeah, and um, it'll be interesting to hear why you did it. Maybe you just, it, well, everybody, you want a fresh look, don't you? You want to get a fresh look, but that would be a nice little talking point. I think a lot of fans said, we need an interview with him straight away to find out why he's done it. Um, AJ, quick one on this one. Um, funny enough, someone told me, um, Neil with the Diamonds, a reader who I always see at the women's games and also at town games, he mentioned Ian Marshall did that back in the 90s. He had a mullet. And he decided to cut it off one season, mm-hmm. and then he didn't do very well for us after that because he scored loads. Yeah, this of goals is the fear, game. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, is this the end of Ipswich Town? I mean, Wes came on and played quite well in in Burton's game. He did as usual, got into some very good positions, and then maybe the end product wasn't quite there. Um, hopefully, he doesn't lose his superpower, which is essentially running really, really fast into lots of space. He's really good at that. Um, but yeah, hopefully this isn't well, the beginning of the end. The fifth switched out. It all hinges on Wes Burns losing his long hair, uh, which would be gutting. And I think if anything bad does happen this season, we will have to blame it on Wes, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Basically. Why did you do it, Wes? Why did you do it? Why yeah, did you make do it? him more aerodynamic? You never know. Yeah, yeah true. He'll run through like Sonic the Hedgehog, just bursting about. Yeah. yeah, it'd be great. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. It will either be really, really good and it'll be really fast or it will just be a total bad luck curse. So hopefully the former. 
Yes, we shall wait and see. Well, um, boys, we've spoken to nearly eight minutes um, without, of course, talking about the defeat. So let's segue right into it then, boys. Um, opening thoughts, uh, you know, biggest cup shock in, in history pretty much, isn't it? Um, Stu, opening thoughts on the defeat against Mainstone. Are we saying, are you saying biggest cup shock in FA Cup history, full stop, or just for Ipswich Town? Where do we, where do we draw the line on this? I don't think we'll ever get a definitive answer on this. I had neither the time nor inclination to to dig that deep into it over over the weekend. Um, I would imagine it's got to be Ipswich's technically on paper worst result, worst upset ever. You're going back to the sixties. Um, 1960, um, for the last time they lost to a non-league team on home turf. Obviously, the further back you go, Ipswich were a kind of a, a lower league team themselves going earlier than the 60s, so there wouldn't have been huge gaps between the teams they were playing beyond then. So um, <clears throat> there's no getting away from it. It's a highly embarrassing result. It was played in front of a nearly full Portman Road stadium. You'd have had a lot of new fans coming to see what, what all the fuss is around uh, an upwardly mobile club, taking advantage of £10 tickets and, of course, a live BBC One terrestrial television audience as well. So um, it's the sort of result and shock that sticks, that sticks with you for a long time afterwards. So you, every year around third round stage, you get these lists of greatest FA Cup shocks ever. This game is now going to be added to that, you know, um, along with Hereford v Newcastle and um, Shrewsbury v Everton. And I'm trying to think of all, all the other ones that sort of get dredged up every year. Um, this is now this is now on there and there's no escaping that. Um, and it was a shock because I don't think anybody hand on heart saw this coming. There wasn't the there wasn't the ingredients we didn't think for an upset because the days where Ipswich kind of slipped on banana skins like this seem to be beyond us. Ipswich had dealt with Bracknell and Buxton pretty comfortably last year. It was at Portman Road. It wasn't at their place. We knew that Ipswich are capable of of making lots of changes to the team and not having huge drop-offs, as we've seen in the League Cup. Ten changes, beating Wolves, for, for example. Um, it felt like a team that should have been highly motivated and I think were highly motivated to win the game because the wins have been in in short supply, either side of Christmas. Um, so I think you'd have been hard-pressed to find any fan going to that stadium, home or away, that that genuinely believed Maidstone could could win the game. I mean, there's only three teams now that have won at Portman Road since the start of last year, um, and that is Leeds, just down from the Premier League, Fulham, a Premier League side, and now Maidstone, United. So... Um, yeah, we'll, we'll try and unpick that all a bit now. But the, the first thing to say is um, put the performance to one side. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it is a highly embarrassing result, no doubt about it. Yeah, AJ, the magic of the FA Cup was in the air um, mm -hmm. at Portman Road on Saturday afternoon. And uh, yeah, you open opening thoughts. Yeah, I just did a little bit of digging that the, <clears throat> I think none of us really wants to definitely sue them. The worst one I can see on the list I've just seen is Coventry in 1989, having won the cup the previous year, going to non-league Sutton, who had no full-time employees and losing 
2-1 in that one. Uh, the goal scorers of that game became celebrities and ended up going on Terry Wogan the following Monday just to uh, highlight the magnitude of that one. But even that was played at Sutton. And when mm. you're away, you know, that's a kind of different story, isn't it? You know? So the fact it was at home, I think, adds quite a, a kick to this one. Um, and it, it's difficult to digest it because when you look at the result in isolation, it is, uh, I don't know, I don't want to kind of go big on any sort of negative hyperbole, but it's, it's bad. It's, it's, yeah, it's really not good. Um, and it will go down as one of the worst, yeah, the worst in Ipswich's history, I'd be fairly confident, uh, and definitely one of the worst in the history of the competition. So from that perspective, absolutely. When you look at the performances, it's hard to really think about it because how badly did they play? I'm not really sure because there were some moments in the the luck of the draw goes the other way in terms of hitting the post a couple of times and, and maybe some last gasp blocks the goalkeeper turning into like Lev Yashin and just making, was it 12 saves in total? Town had 38 shots. How many times do you only score once from that? Um, XG of north of three, I think. Shout at me all you, all you want. Um, all these kinds of things, you know, it all points in the direction of a, a result that goes in Ipswich's favour. And the fact that they've lost it is bizarre, especially given the fact that the performance, you know, was bad. But I think when I was speaking to Stu after the game, he was saying, well, there's nothing like the Lincoln result, for example, or the Barrow result, where you could really look at it and say this is only a trend heading in one direction of really negative, poor football. It wasn't like that because what they were doing at times was really good stuff, hitting the post, forcing the goalkeeper into really incredible saves. So it's such a hard game to kind of pick apart and digest in that sense because um, the result is awful and the performance by that nature should be as well. And I, I don't know whether it is or whether it isn't. It, it probably leans towards the fact that it isn't. But then how do those two things balance up without it sounding like you're making excuses for it as well? There's so many different elements to it and it's just such a hard game and cup tie to pick apart. I don't feel anywhere near as low after this result even though the, the margin, the gap in the, the pyramid is is wider here. It's 98 places. Um, again, I don't know where that stands in records. Coventry, Sutton, that, that, I'd be interested to know how many spaces between the sides were there. But it didn't, I didn't feel anywhere near as low as Lincoln and, and Barrow because on those days, there were moments where you thought it's hard to tell which of these teams is is the higher level opponent. That wasn't the case on Saturday. Um, Alex has just mentioned the stats, 38 shots to two, the possession stats were dominant, 11 corners to zero. You could see who the, the higher level team was. This was just one of those classic FA Cup upsets that needed every single little bit of ingredient had to all come together to, to make that result happen. And it did. The goalkeeper having the game of his life um, rode their luck massively. George Ellicobi, who has to be one of the nicest men in football, he, he held court in the Portman Road press room for about 45 minutes post-match. What a lovely man. He was talking about the gods were with us. First 20 minutes, it, which hit the woodwork, what, two, three times. Um, uh, referee decisions going their way as well. Clear foul in the build-up to, to the winner. Big shirt pull on Sarmiento in midfield that goes... Um, unseen um 
I still haven't watched the George Edmondson penalty appeal that he gets booked for for diving back, but seems to be a general consensus that that, that was harsh and could well have been a penalty. Um, so, yeah, everything just came together for one of those kind of putting the Ipswich Town personal pain to one side, the sort of result that we all love. And it's, it's kind of nice to see that the FA Cup has still got these, these stories in it. It's just... Um, it's just a real shame that Ipswich are the, are the ones that are, are on the end of it. Putting that to one side, I thought it was nice that even in even in that moment, a lot of Ipswich fans kind of stood and applauded Maidstone at the end and respected that it was their moment. Um, and um, yeah, there's not there's not huge amount more to say than that. It's uh, it wasn't a bad performance. Um, and I know a lot of people won't want to hear that. And there are things that Ipswich could have done better, uh, both in terms of the goals conceded and, you know, the bottom line is not being clinical enough, um, which is becoming a little bit of a, a theme of late and feeds into a, a bigger picture debate leading up to the transfer window, which we'll come on to. But, um, yeah, as Alex said earlier, I think one that maybe a Sunday to kind of cool down on a little bit I've bumped into a, a few sort of town fans out and about this Monday morning and it was a bit of a kind of a, a wry smile a shake of the head you know can't quite believe that happened but it's not a you know lower than a snake's belly how are we going to pick ourselves up from from here moment it doesn't it doesn't feel like that to me I do want to kind of just say as well and it's just echoing a point that Stu made fair play to Maidstone because I thought that their performance was just so well set up for this. I know that George Ellicott talked about making that tactical switch and you could see how much that works and teams have not been able to figure out that much of a puzzle to make those kind of switches to nullify Ipswich. Yeah, when they went and did that adjusted, I think ended up moving to a five quite, fairly quickly. Um, it just works really well and you could see that all that threat in the first kind of 20, 30 minutes just dissipated so quickly and the way that Maidstone approached that game were working on the counter, you know, it wasn't just like necessarily, I know it's two shots and, and two goals, but it wasn't just like a case of they just had those two opportunities. They were getting into good areas, I thought, and they looked like quite a, a good attacking threat at times. And I think that they deserve a lot of credit for that. And as you said, George Elacobi, lovely guy. It's not what I, I mentioned on Twitter, but it was a, a nice moment. I came back from talking to Sam Morsey after the game and you often walk past managers and I always try and say, you know, oh, well done or something like that. You know, you can have that with players as well. And they used to go, oh, thanks. And George Alakobe, when I said it to him, just kind of walked past me a little bit. And he made sure he came running back down the corridor to shake my hand. And he said, oh, thank you, thank you. That really means a lot. Uh, good luck for the rest of the season, which I thought, you know, it shows the kind of guy that he is. So I think that it is a nice, it's nice to look at it being Maidstone, a club that it's just such a wonderful story. They've made almost £500,000 in prize money. That is huge for a club at that level. Um, and, I, you know, when it's a, a part-time team, a semi-professional team made up of a lot of players who've got other jobs working, I think he mentioned that in the press conference in East Jew, you know, players are working driving trucks and doing stuff like that. That's, that's what the FA Cup's about. So it's it hurts that it's Ipswich who've come out on the wrong side of it, but it is a proper FA Cup story from a team and a manager that deserve it. And now they've got Coventry or Sheffield Wednesday away. So that glamorous. Is lovely for, lovely oh, glamorous. Yeah. For them. Uh, you yeah. know what? That would have been such a nice trip for Ipswich, having to go to Sheffield or Coventry about four days before Plymouth away. 
Uh, winnable though. <laughs> Mainstay could be a core yeah. finalist in the FA Cup. They could easily beat Sheffield Wednesday. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm, obviously the the clip of them kind of reacting to that has has circled. You know, one of disappointment. Um, people going out. Oh, who do they think they are being disappointed about playing sort of storied clubs like Coventry and, and Sheffield Wednesday? And I, there was a similar reaction, I think, when they got Ipswich. A, a little bit of disappointment that they got Ipswich away. Um, it's not Manchester United or Manchester City or whoever away from home, is it? So um, that's what they would have been hoping for, a bit, you know, a big payday. Once in a lifetime opportunity to play sort of global superstars. So I can't knock them for for maybe just, it's not quite what they wanted. But um, yeah, at least it's, uh, it's an away day. It's a bit more money and they get to do it all over again. And I, I would hope and imagine that most Ipswich fans now will be cheering them on and supporting them in the next round and um yeah for for Ipswich you talk about you know they wouldn't necessarily have come out the hat the same way but um it's not a competition Ipswich are going to going to go and win at this stage of of their journey or contest and um they've got bigger fish to fry and maybe it might not be a bad thing not having to squeeze another away game into a, a, an already hectic schedule going forwards where the squad's just starting to get stretched a little bit. Um, I'm not saying for, for one instance that it's a good thing that this result happened, but uh, it has happened. And now we've got to try and sort of use, take some positives from it in terms of learning some lessons from the performance, um, in terms of using it as a bit of motivational fuel going forwards. I kind of think back to this time last year when Ipswich were on a, a similarly sticky-ish run, certainly in terms of... It was very similar vibes this time last year where weren't winning a lot of games, but weren't necessarily sort of... The wheels hadn't come off, but the, the, the wins had started to dry up a little bit. I think ultimately it got to something like two wins in 11 after that Bristol Rovers game on Valentine's Day, nil-nil away. If you remember Sam Morsey sort of going over to speak to some angry fans there after that game, it was a sense that Ipswich, having been in the top two all season, might not even finish in the playoffs. And are they becoming too predictable? Have they been worked out? Um, and we all know what happened from there. The, the January signings started to hit form and, and they just clicked, didn't they, from thrashing Forest Green 4-0 at home onwards uh, were just steam train-like momentum. Now, I'm not saying that that... <laughs> can happen at a level higher. It's a, it's a different ball game in the championship, but I think it is just a little reminder just not to not to get sort of too too carried away with all this at the moment. Um, you know, Ipswich still don't lose many games and uh, they've played Leicester twice. They've played Leeds twice. They've played West Brom away. They've played Southampton away. Um, so let's just see what the reaction is to this result going forwards and um, what happens in these last few days of the transfer window. Indeed. And we'll get onto that shortly about a potential striker coming in the door. Uh, let's hear from Kieran McKenna, though, on the defeat. Let's see what he had to say. Yeah, look, of course, first of all, it's, it's full credit to Maidstone. It's a fantastic day for them. They worked ever so hard for it. Of course, they they rode their luck as well, but they were very, very clinical and um, they showed a fantastic spirit to get the results. So it's a bad day for us. Um, and there's a lot of disappointment. I thought we started ever so well, to be honest. The, the player, I can't really fault the attitude. We prepared the game well. 
We started terrifically and that's irrespective of the level of the opponent. I thought it was a really good start to the game. We had big chances. We hit the woodwork a couple of times. Keeper do some fantastic saves. And of course, the longer the game goes on like that, you know, our belief um, drops a little bit. They defend with more resolution. And um, at that phase, they're hoping for a moment, of course, and they got it with the corner. We had... Uh, an injury on the edge of the box that we should have communicated um, better on the pitch. Um, they broke away and um, got a, got the goal that really, you know, put the tie to life for them. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, we've had 38 shots on goal. The opposition have had two. We need to be, of course, much more clinical than we were. They were incredibly clinical with their two and um, they defended with great resolution in, in their goal and, uh, you know, full credit to them for that. For that. Yeah. AJ, I want to go over to you first of all. Where were you at when they opened the scoring? Because it was just came out of nowhere, didn't it? One of their only breaks of the game. Um, And good finish from the lads, Lamar Reynolds. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also got the assist for the the second goal. But uh, yeah, where were you you at when we were 1-0 down? I thought, what a lovely moment for them. This will spark Ipswich into life. The game will finish with a fairly comfortable win and they've had their big moment on their big day out and it was lovely and it was a brilliant goal <clears throat> obviously I was wrong about the first part as I assume we probably all had that thought a little bit I would have gone 1-0 down that's so it's good for them and you know I was talking to you and the, the boot room on Friday and I said you know I kind of hope to get one just because you've got so many away fans that'd be a lovely moment um and that was kind of the thought I, I don't think any of us really wanted it to be the first goal of the game but Sending all those fans absolutely crazy, thinking, oh, that's, yeah, that's quite nice. Um, not really anticipating what was going to come. But yeah, when you look at it, um, the goal is it's bizarre, isn't it? Because it comes from Ipswich's corner. It's a quick break. And the way they do it is just one end to the other in no time. It's almost like something the Ipswich would do themselves. Um, it was a little bit crazy just to see them kind of outnumber Town's back line so quickly. Um the stand-up moments, the finish. It takes a lot in, realistically, I, I think a lot of Maidstone fans and, and people associated with the club have said it's the biggest game in the club's history. So to go through on goal and for in the biggest club, in the biggest game of your club's history, to attempt that kind of shot to put them 1-0 up, I just thought that takes balls of steel, doesn't it? Because so often you, you might scuff it, you might go for a more simple finish even rounding the keeper would probably be easier, but to try and chip it over him and into the space, that took something. So I think you have to applaud the goal and the bravery of it. And yeah, I thought, I think I even tweeted at half time because it came just before half time. That will hopefully be the rocket up the backside that they need to go and kind of maintain the pressure that they had in the first 20 minutes and have that throughout the entire second half. And I thought that, that would probably be the way that the game would pan out and you go and get those goals and obviously probably did in a way start like that as we'll get on to but not in the way that many of us thought it would it's the first touch that makes that goal if you look back at it the way he sort of takes it in his stride at pace um perfectly is that's the bit as well as the finish that is so impressive um and it had just felt i'm not saying the tide had completely turned but it had turned slightly in the ipswich had you know, done all their research, done all their preparation, started well. They'd started with confidence, with control. 
Um, it's felt like only a matter of when, not if, the deadlock was going to be broken. Amari Hutchinson had Cipriano, their left back, on, on absolute toast. Um, Sarmiento was having a bit of fun as well. Those two two youngsters, we were thinking they could have a field day against non-league opposition. It was looking that way. Um, but as those chances came and went, we've mentioned would Sarmiento base of the left-hand post from 20-odd yards out. Uh, was it Hutchinson's shot took a massive deflection, comes back off the, the opposite upright, one that I think shaved the top of the crossbar. Um, you could just almost sense the crowd went a little bit sort of quieter. Um, Maidstone just sort of grew in belief a little bit. Okay, we've ridden that storm. And they then started to get the odd little breakaway. They had some good pace on the counter-attack. They had a little moment and... Four and a half thousand, close to four and a half thousand Maidstone fans in that cobbled stand all the way along. Almighty roar anytime they kind of got into that final third went up. Um, just felt like they, they, a little bit of belief kind of grew in, in them and, and Ipswich were thinking, okay, we're, this, we're not having it all our own way today. And then, and then that goal to score, the timing of goals is always so massive in games. And for that to come right on half time. Um, yeah, I was the same as as you and everyone else thinking that maybe they've had they've had their moment and that's nice and Ipswich will be fine. Um, still, we're looking at the bench and the big guns that could still be called upon, but you knew at half time we had ourselves a proper cup tie because Maidstone now had something to defend and defend for their lives. Um, and uh, yeah, I certainly didn't see a scenario if you'd have said to me Ipswich will get back into it and still lose the game. No chance. I don't think anyone would have predicted that. No, not at all. And uh, yeah, of course, their keeper had the game of his life. Uh, Lucas Kovan, you know, what? What? Just unbelievable from him. Uh, of course, come out in the second half, boys. And uh, Jezza equalising for Town. And obviously, that was the moment where we thought, OK, here we go. Town are going to go on and to win this one. Um, but no, Town didn't. Uh they, of course, went on to score another one. Sam Corn, who scored in the previous round on the penalty against Stevenage, he also, I think, scored against Barrow as well. So he's had one, one hell of a FA Cup story this season. Um, a moment to remember for him. Um, but, yeah, Stu, once again, where were you at when they were made, made it 2-1? Yeah, I think it's important not to com- quickly skip over this Sarmiento equaliser. In the grand scheme of things, that's just going to get forgotten about. I don't think I even referenced it in stuff I, I wrote after the game because it didn't mean anything, but good for him to get his first goal at Portman Road and and a, and a great finish that was as well. Nice little reverse shot back into the to the bottom left-hand corner. And, and when, when that went in, everyone was thinking, okay, right, you know, um, we can breathe again, matter of time now. Ipswich can call upon some different players off, off the bench and, and that will be that. But uh, no, it was a, another counter-attack moment. Um, from Maidstone that, that led to the winner. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. I saw it live at the time and could not believe that it wasn't spotted. It's not just a little shirt tug on Sami and Toe. He's, he's got his shirt sort of, you know, stretching at the seams in midfield uh, as he's being sort of tugged back, but the ref doesn't spot it, who who seemed to be Anthony Taylor kind of let a lot go, sort of played it in the spirit of a of an FA Cup game of, of this nature, sort of uh, let, let a few more things slide. And um, after that, as Kieran McKenna said, they, they reacted quicker. It was a quick pass up the line, a quick square pass inside. And again, 
what what coolness under pressure to pick his pick his spot, pick that bottom corner. Um, so again, hats off to Maidstone. Um, in their two moments, they were ultra clinical, and and Ipswich weren't. Funny enough, I think that player who was tugging on Jeremy Sarmiento's shirt was George Fowler, the uh, former town player. I thought I'll just look back quickly now, and I think it was him. So, uh, so yeah, interesting. Uh, AJ, yeah, good to see Jezart scoring, but uh, yeah, didn't last long the the equaliser because uh, they went on to score. Good old Jezza. Yeah, the goal that they had originally was, <clears throat> pardon me, it was a weird one in a way because it came at a period when it was quite soon after the restart and I thought Mason better after the restart. You were thinking, right, the town have gone into the dressing room, they've had that little kick, they're going to come out all guns blazing. And they didn't really, to be perfectly honest. I thought that Maidstone looked quite sharp, We're getting into some good areas at the start of the second half. Um doesn't mean the goal came against the run of play. I think the town kind of found their feet. Didn't feel like they were exactly knocking the door down, but Jack Taylor finds the space to get the, the pass out. To be perfectly honest, I think it was one of the few stand-up bits that Jack Taylor had in that game. I think he found quite a difficult one. Um, and from there, Sarmiento's movement, the finish is really nice. And we, we talk about this potentially being a game that could knock confidence. I really hope, at least from... Sarmiento's perspective, this is what gives him a boost because he's now at two two goals in two games, which coming in from quite a rough, well, not really a rough loan spell at West Brom, but one way he maybe didn't get the minutes that he wanted to and have quite the impact that he wanted to to come in. And I think he's already matched his total that he scored for West Brom already uh, for town, which is pretty impressive, I'd say. Um, so I hope that gives him a, a real boost, especially while Nathan Broadhead's kind of outperform because you need to have a, a strong left winger in this team who has that momentum and it's probably another bit to touch on is the fact that Nathan Broadhead really found this game to be difficult um, which was disappointing because I think he was played up front in this game just to get him a, a bit of momentum to get him back in form because playing as a striker in a team that's going to create chances for um, well, against the non-league side really seemed like a, a good way to do that and it was a shame that they didn't pan out that way didn't get that much service in the times that he did. He just couldn't take the opportunities, gets played through one on one, and just couldn't couldn't convert. So that was a, a frustrating bit. Um, and again, uh, yeah, with the the second goal that uh, Maidstone scored, it's one where it's a blatant foul. We saw it at the time, and I think as soon as you could see them playing in space, I had this feeling of I know what's going to come at the end of this here. Um, they played the move really well, and again, it's a case of playing to the whistle. That's, that's important because we're not in a league with VAR. We're not in a competition with VAR. It's not a stadium that accommodates VAR. You have to make sure that if a foul is ignored, that you make sure that you follow the ball, you track the movement the entire time. And it was disappointing not to see them do that. And it's a clinical move and a clinical finish from Maidstone that, that gets them there. Stu, you muted, my friend. You've done a Roscoe there. Take it away. Sorry. As a good point about VAR, because there's been a lot of talk about mm. is it fair that you can have inconsistencies in the competition that Premier League clubs use VAR and uh, and others don't? You know, had that been at Old Trafford, for example, that would have probably been chalked off, wouldn't it? So, um, yeah, for me, you either use it in the competition or you don't, and and the rule has to apply to all. But um, no sour grapes from an Ipswich town point of view I think Ipswich had to do better you played to the whistle um, and 
yeah, Maidstone took their chances when when they came. So, um, yeah, on came on came the big boys straight after. I think after the after the equaliser, didn't they? It was a triple substitution. Um, Davis came on, Clark came on, Chaplin came on, and I thought Ipswich looked better certainly with those changes at fullback. Um, I think one of the big sort of takeaways from from this game is that for all the talk about the need for striker reinforcements, which absolutely is correct. Um, not convinced by sort of Nathan Broadhead being a central out and out striker. I don't think there's enough sort of physicality uh, slash pace there for him. He's not someone who runs in behind. He's not someone who, who battles and backs into centre halves and win aerials. He's he's technically one of Ipswich's most skillful players, but at the moment it's just been sort of slightly below that. Um, but don't overlook the fullback situation either. I think um, I think Alex pointed out at the end that Leif Davis came on for the final 20, 30 minutes with stoppage time and, and made more, created more chances than anyone else on the pitch, didn't he? Or, um, yeah, was that, was that the stat, Alex? came on for just over half an hour, probably a little bit if you had stoppage time, so that's about 40 minutes or so five chances more than anyone on the pitch at that point. Yeah. It shows how important that he is and there is a drop-off there. You know, I'm a big fan of Humphreys, but there's someone who hasn't had that experience to go and do that and be the creative driving force in a team where, really, I mean, it goes without saying, doesn't it? Leaf Davis is the driving force creatively. And if you take that out and there is a, a drop-down to Humphreys, and I'm sure that Humphreys can absolutely reach that kind of level in the future, but he's not there yet. Um and he's not a left back as well. And he's not a left back, he's not a natural left back, he's a midfielder. So yeah, that's so difficult to to ask him to step into that role, not just because he's changing his role, but because he's changing into a very specific role mm. and a role that town rely on so heavily. And like likewise with Dom Dom Ball at right back. He was a he was a bit of a steady eddie at right back, but he's not he's not Harry Clark or Brandon Williams in terms of someone who's gonna, you know, be dynamic and, and drive you up the pitch and add to that, you know, fill the the spaces left by Wes Burns decoy runs and, th and things like that. So there was a few players in here. This these games are a chance for sort of some some of the fringe players maybe to to put their hand up and show that they're they're ready when when called upon. I'm not sure. The signing of Lewis Travis was was a was a pretty hefty knock on Don Ball, wasn't it? The fact that they felt they needed to go out and get someone in. As temporary cover for Sam Morsi when you've you've kind of had Dominic Ball there all along. I know Kieran McKenna's always been quick to say, "Oh, when we bring him on for the last five minutes, he had three things to do and he did them all well: one header, one tackle, one interception." But um, there was a reason they went out and signed Lewis Travis. They obviously didn't feel he was, was ready to to play in those that holding central midfield role when needed, and he didn't do enough at right back in in this game. So I think it's trending one way for him, unfortunately. I say unfortunately because he seems like a really solid, nice guy, but um, he's out of contract in, in the summer. I don't know if we'll see an awful lot more of him. I don't think we'll see Shawnee Aluko probably again in an Ipswich shirt. Um, we had him for press last week and I was kind of thinking this could be your last dance because you're looking at what Ipswich are trying to do in the transfer market. We know there's they're trying to... We're in a one-in, one-out sort of situation, or certainly needing to deregister people to to accommodate the you know a couple of strikers and maybe a fullback as well. So now Ipswich are out of, of both cup competitions. 
can't can't see Shawnee getting any more game time this season. He's not even been making the bench a lot of the time in, in the league. Um, he looked like, unfortunately, someone who's looking a little bit leggy now and towards the end, end of his career in, in this game. Um, you mentioned Jack Taylor. Still don't quite know what he is, if I'm completely honest, Jack Taylor. Uh, you speak to, we've spoken to him a few times since he signed and he talks about being an, a, very much an attacking player, a forward player, someone I think sees himself as a number 10, someone who prides himself on scoring goals. You know, he kept talking a lot about having this 10-goal target um, this season. Ipswich have signed him to sort of play as, a, as an eight, as a box-to-box midfielder, as as one of those sort of deeper midfielders alongside Morsi, but with, with a little bit more licence to get forwards. But... Um, yeah, I'm not. I, I still think, yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him in that number ten role at some stage, just to see what he's like. It's not like Chaplin's been on on fire recently. I'm not saying he he should be starting ahead of Chaplin by any any stretch, but in a game like this, maybe you could have had a little look at him just to see what he's like in in that role at, at some stage. But um, yeah, uh, it wasn't a bad performance, but also there was, you know, I've just reeled off a few players there that have just maybe held it back from from um you know which contributed to the result that ultimately it was i guess because sometimes you look at cup defeats and you look at the changes obviously there was 10 changes from this one and in recent past we look at you know managers change the whole team and that's one of the reasons why we lose you that's one you go oh because they manager made too many changes but as we said earlier and you know in, in september when we beat wolves you know, oh no, beat Fulham. Sorry, was it for no beat Wolves? Yeah, <laughs> play two Premier teams. We beat Wolves. You know, we made loads of changes. Um, and this one, Sam Wolsey, of course, was starting. Nathan Broadhead was starting. It's just, yeah, should we hear from McKenna actually? So you ask McKenna just this about the changes. Let's see what I'd say about it. People always talk after results like this about the number of changes to the team. I mean, you've, you've done it in other competitions and beaten Premier League sides with with nine, ten changes. But, uh, I know you always trust whoever you put on the pitch. Kieran, do you don't think that had a, an impact on the result today? No, look, it's, yeah, as you say, we've, we've been consistent with that. We've, we've done it for Wolves in the in the Carabao Cup this year, for example, and and won the game. We we utilised the squad um, in the cup competitions. It's a necessity for us, really, with the the competition and the level that we're competing with in the Championship this year and with how much of a stretch that is for our players. We need to utilise the squad. We utilise it, we utilise it every um, every game in the league, to be honest. We make five subs pretty much every game and we utilise it in the cup competition. So we've been consistent with that. I think the team that played today you know, had, had certainly had the quality to win the game. I think we created more than enough chances to win the game. Many aspects of the performance were good enough to win the game. Apart from the most important bits, which is you know putting the ball in the net and of course stopping them doing it, and uh, that's why we that's why we're out of the cup. I just boys, I could just I still can't get over. We had thirty eight shots and we scored one goal. Um, any other any other game? Ninety nine percent, you know, of games we play that again. Town win, but um, as we said, the magic of the FA Cup was still in the air. Um, but yes, do the change is always interesting one in cup competitions, but um, we've done it before and we've won against the Premier League team. Yeah, and I'm just looking at it, I think eight of that team started at AFC Wimbledon in the previous round um, and won ultimately pretty comfortably 3-1 at a team that was in League 2. So there was no reason to think that team should have been affected in any way. I think it's always difficult for fringe players 
to step into a team en masse because you're asking, there's no sort of chemistry or, or connections or partnerships embedded in a team. So it's always difficult for a fringe player to come in and really shine when they're not part of a, you know, a team that's that's already sort of bedded in. But that said, there was there was more than enough on that pitch in terms of individual quality, wasn't there? You know, we were running through it. Christian Walton is not your usual backup goalkeeper. He's been lauded as potentially one of the best goalkeepers in the championship when Ipswich got got promoted. Um, Axel Twanzebi has played in a Europa League final and played Champions League, etc. You could go through them all. Sam Morsi, the captain, beating heart of the team, back in back in the side, full of motivation. Taylor, they paid one and a half million for. A couple of really exciting youngsters on on loan from from the Premier League. Broadhead. Very good player. I thought he was. I I thought he was going to help himself to a few goals in this game up front. Someone who was hasn't scored since Norwich, and um, so yeah, more than enough on the pitch. And and ultimately, you can't argue with some of the players that were rested. Leif Davis has missed games with a calf injury. Harry Clark's been managing this Achilles issue. Massimo Luongo uh, missed a game recently with an ankle problem. So if you'd have started with any of those and they'd have picked up an injury, can you imagine the sort of response? to that. So um, I, I can't argue with the logic behind the team selection. It's It's been fine in the past. And and really, if any of those, a few of those chances had gone in the first 20 minutes, it'd have been fine again. Yeah. AJ, um, final bit of notes from this game. Uh, before we move on, we're going to hear from Sam Morsey. You spoke to him after the game, but um, anything else from you? Yeah, it's a tricky one because I, I don't want to kind of come in and single out individuals as well because... It's harsh on a performance that as a collective probably, well, at least as a result, that didn't hit the heights. I think the one worry that I have a little bit, and we've had it in a couple of games when I've looked at it, I'm not totally convinced by Axel Twanzebi at the moment. And it's difficult because I've seen performances of his that have been excellent. And then you think back, maybe the Leeds game was one that stood out in my mind. And I think in this one, the bit that surprised me quite a lot is he looked quite nervy on the ball. And it's one of his strongest sides. He's a good passer. He's really good in terms of his movement, in terms of bringing the ball forward. And I was just a little bit surprised that he looked a little bit on edge. Um, almost played town into trouble, I think, two or three times in that game. And when he has an important role in this team, as he does now, that, that did come as a little bit of a shock to me. So he's one that I want to see kind of pick up those levels quite quickly because we know that he can reach them. And I'd, I'd be confident that he will again. It's just maybe over the last few weeks, this has been... Yeah, a little tricky patch, not just for him to be fair, but as a collective. And it's important to also remember with that, we've seen some excellent performances from him. You look back to when he came into the team, absolutely. But this is this has been harder, absolutely. And I was a little bit surprised by that because I thought that he could definitely, with his pace up against um, lower league opposition, he could take advantage there and make sure he could kind of nullify them. And I like the idea of him playing with George Edmondson, but didn't really work with this one so hopefully he can regain that form quite quickly well let's hear from sam morsey as i have a feeling my internet is having uh, a mare because it's apparently got a, unstable wi-fi. got a bit of unstable wi-fi so hopefully sam morsey could sort it out for me and he speaks about defeat sam a, a lot of build up around this yeah. one but uh, not the way you would want it to pan out what were your thoughts on the game yeah definitely not the result we wanted today um bitterly disappointed I think on the game, we did a lot of things right. Um, we had a lot of shots, keepers made some good saves, hit the woodwork a couple of times. There was lots of good things. 
to like about us today, um, but unfortunately on, on the breaks, we didn't manage it quite good enough. Um, I don't remember them breaking too many times, but it seems like they scored two goals from it. That's something we have to get better with, and then we just wasn't clinical enough today. What's the emotion coming out of this? Is it one of anger, frustration? Are you looking to move on? Is it immediately looking to the next game? How do you approach this now? I don't think you can ever be ang- angry because you have you have 98 minutes to give everything you've got really it's more you feel deflated after you feel disappointed you feel like you let the fans down um, just, just a real disappointment to be honest but you know we haven't had many bad moments here and um, and look the losses teach you so much more than what the wins will ever teach you so we have to bounce back we have to be better individually collectively we have to look at why we couldn't score uh, we have to look at the opportunities. I don't know, maybe you look back at it and just go, it was just a free game because we had enough chances to score six, seven goals, um, but we didn't take them. And then, yeah, you've just got to be super good on the lockdown when games like this, because you know that that's probably going to be their best opportunity to sort of nick something. And they nicked it, and look, the day belongs to them. It's um, an incredible achievement for them. You know, I've been on the other side where you've knocked out Premier League teams and um, you know, it's an amazing feeling and they'll, they'll always remember it. So fair play to them, them. Fair play from Sam Moores. And I think he's sort of waiting that out as well. So there we go. Perfect. Uh, Stu, any other business from you from the game against Mainstone? Uh, we'll move on from it because uh, it's happened and uh, yeah. it was Mainstone day, as, as Sam Morsey said. Yeah, just, just that sort of needing to be a bit more clinical a little bit more ruthless it wasn't a chance creation wasn't an issue probably the two big moments from the early stages of the game would be George Edmondson putting the back post header unmarked at the back post putting that the wrong side of the woodwork was a was a big moment and Shawnee Aluko just um sort of dragging a shot or stabbing a shot wide from a really good position uh, inside the box as well. They they were two big moments um, and it's just felt like that's become a little bit of a, a theme. We, we talked in the early stage of the season, Ipswich being able to outscore teams because they create so many chances and they take so many chances. And at some stage, would they be able, would that just start to slow down a little bit? Um, and, and then, you know, the goals against and some of the, the little moments that defensively that have gone against them, then become a bit more of an issue, and maybe this game is a is a an example of of that. It just shows you how it can just start to tip the other way. Um, but but overall, um, yeah, one to move on from quite quickly as an embarrassing result. I wouldn't say it was an embarrassing performance. Um, doesn't need to be a huge overreaction, but hopefully, the bigger picture is that it can you know it might just make the club push that little bit harder in the transfer market over the next few days. It might just light a fire under under the players to kind of prove this growing external noise that our oh, Ipswich will fade away from the automatic promotion picture and it's only a matter of time before Southampton and Leeds reel them in. Um, hopefully that this is going to really sort of, having been on the end of a an underdog result, they can now kind of... Um, sort of utilise that underdog spirit themselves going into these final 18 games of the season. Indeed. And I think there'll be some people who will be annoyed for me saying this. I think we've said it multiple times when you've written this. Just one of those days and um, it was Mainstone's day. So let them enjoy it and uh, we move on. You know, we're second in the championship, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, hopefully that continues. Uh, and this week is a big week because it's deadline day on Thursday. 
um, when it will slam shut because it just slams all the time, doesn't it, boys? 11 p.m. deadline, obviously. And there's uh, some stuff in the fire. You know, Owen's in the fire for town at the moment. Um, shall we talk, Stu, about uh, Iraqi international? Bear with me, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get let's do one take. One take. Let's do this. So, yeah, town, of course, close to signing Ali Al Mohammadi. <sighs> Uh, no, okay, bollocks. Where uh, where does this M come from? <laughs> we we ran through this before. We had the friends scene again. Now the thing is, as well, I should point out that Ross has nailed Jeremy Sarmiento. Yeah, Jeremy Sarmiento, brilliant, done, done. Yeah, and done we that. ran through and we did the <laughs> Ali Al Hamada. We did it like that. We broke it down. We ended Ham Adi or Hammer or whatever, however you want to do it, and. Ross is getting quite doing it quite well. The only issue is, is that there's this mystery M. I don't know. Five minutes of tu- five minutes, no exaggeration of tuition on this before we started this podcast. We broke it down phonetically, syllables, we gave you some visual images, think of ham, hammers, all sorts. But you, you can't get Mohammed out of your name out of your head, can you? Because it's just it's just yeah. oh, it's a tongue twister for me. You and I are in a off. position now where I think we've heard that we've said it so many times. Have you ever had it? We I think there's a word for this. You say it so many times it sounds to start weird. Yes. You almost start losing how to say it. And now I think I'm in a position I'm gonna struggle. Uh yeah, that's that's where we're at now. But um we'll, we'll get let there, me boss. let me let me do it. So this could be a nice because I want to do this as a clip for our you know for for our socials. Let's do it, and then we'll, Stu, you'll you'll talk about him. So let's do it. Ready? Okay, ready? Three, two, one. We're still live on this podcast. So town close to signing Ali El Hamnoff. <laughs> you were so close. I was so close. I was so if close. You added like, Adi slow on down. The I'm going to slow down. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, I was just, I'm being too quick. I'm being too quick. Hope you're enjoying your, whatever you're doing right now while you're listening to this podcast. Uh, But yes, town, close to signing Ali El Mohammadi. No, I said it again. Why am I saying this? Stu, just talk about him. Wimbledon striker, 21 years years of age, scoring goals in League Two, plays for Iraq internationally. Yeah. Yeah, story I brought. And broke last Thursday that Ipswich Town had made him a major target heading into the latter stages of the transfer window, um, scoring goals for fun in League Two for AFC Wimbledon. He's strong. He looks like a, a pest of a centre-forward. If you look at the highlights reel of his goals, a lot of them come from, from pressing people um, and winning the ball back himself. Um so we talked about maybe the front line lacking some of those physical qualities without George Hurst. Uh, I think he'll 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 um uh, he'll add some something in terms of that respect. He looks like someone who, who's got a bit of pace and can run in behind as well. Uh, so yes, um, a deal has been thrashed out. Uh, from what I understand, uh, some other clubs came to the party quite late in the day, trying to maybe gazump Ipswich. Um, he's been linked to lots and lots of teams uh, over the last few months. Um, Sunderland, Leeds, among others. I believe even a Premier League club came to the to the table late on. I think when Ipswich shows some interest, I think because they've done so well with their recruitment, a bit like Brighton now, if you see Brighton come in for a player, everyone thinks, oh, 
it, he must be a player if Brighton are after him. So there was an element of that, but um, Ipswich had, had done their persuasion job on Al Hamadi. I nearly went with Mohammed myself there. Um, you know, I'd, I'd pitched the project to him and, uh, you know, he can see sort of a pathway here. He knows that the reputation of McKenna in terms of improving players, he'll know that he's got a really good chance of, of getting game time in the second half of this season, given given the um, given Hurst is out and Scarlett's been recalled, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, yeah, the, my understanding is it's um, little over a million pounds, the low end of the sort of just over one million pounds, with with various add-ons which will take it up. I would imagine towards the sort of the two million figures that were being quoted from the Wimbledon end if he plays, scores, gets promoted, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so he will be, I would imagine that's um, that that will happen fairly soon. We're recording this this Monday morning. He's undergone a medical out in Qatar. Ipswich sorted out their own sort of medical over there because he's away with the Asian Cup. And um, yeah, we'll wait and see when when he can link up with with Ipswich for the first time because Iraq are doing doing quite nicely in the Asian Cup. But it's it's important to hear to say that he'll he'll be one of hopefully two strikers. I know people are saying it's a big ask for someone to step up from League Two and be the main man in a championship promotion push. Comparisons already being made to Caden Jackson stepping up from Accrington League Two to the championship in the relegation season and struggling that year. Um, more recently, Gasana had me coming, coming from Burton and, and not, not being able to do it, albeit with some injuries sort of knocking him back. But... Um, I think this feels a little bit different and it's not hopefully not going to be the sort of the pressure to, to lead the line week in, week out because Ipswich still still want to do another striker um, for the deadline at 11pm on Thursday. Yeah. AJ, your thoughts on this one on Ali Al-Mohamedi? No. No, bollocks. No. Anyway. <clears throat> My thoughts on thoughts? Ali Al-Mohamedi. Uh, yeah, I think that this... Going into the window, he was always one that was on my radar. My question mark was about if you're a team in an automatic promotion race, is he maybe someone that is looking to step up to the championship at a team that maybe has sniffs of the playoffs? I, I know Watford were kind of one of the rumoured parties. Sunderland, obviously, as Stu mentioned, teams like that. Um, and the more I've thought about it, the more excited I've been, just because I think the ceiling's so high in terms of he was probably the hottest property going into the January transfer window in the lower ends of the the Football League, and you look at like the big names in the end, you've got Macaulay Langstaff, Paul Mullen, um, and Al-Hamadi, and you look at what he's doing, not just in terms of his goal output, but his assist output as well. 13 goals, 6 assists in 23 games. Um, these often kind of come in bursts in terms of he might have a little spell. We saw in October he was getting on the end of loads of chances. His, I'm sorry, Ross, his XG output was really high. He wasn't quite fulfilling it. He was underperforming it. And then he has other bursts where all of a sudden it's all clicks. Hat-trick against Tranmere. Then he had that little dry spot. Comes back and he's getting, you know, a goal of game and chipping in with assists. Two against Notts County. Two and an assist against Ramsgate. Two against Swindon. Um, goal and assist against Colchester. Goal against Forest Green in his last one before he went to the Asian Cup. He's contributing in loads of different ways. And if you create the chances for him, more often than not, he's going to end up having... Um, a real impact in the final third. So, I mean, we, we had a look through before the, the game on Saturday. We've got some clips up with Stu. We watched them through on my laptop to have a look at kind of what striker he was. And you can really see the pressing and the energy. Um, 
obviously in those clips he looks like a clinical striker I think maybe that's the side that can develop the most and, and in a young player that's the easier thing to develop I'd say because he has all the physical attributes and and everything that you need in terms of the elements that may be harder to develop the bit that is easier is to be a clinical finisher and that will come with age so I think if he can do that there's no reason why he can be a really really top striker the other bit that's interesting is kind of his position as well because within the Wimbledon team he's often been playing to the left or to the right of quite a big strong physical striker they play with a front three at Wimbledon um you wouldn't imagine that would be his role at Ipswich you'd imagine they're going to try and have him as an out and out number nine but it's interesting to see how he would adapt to that role he's been playing it with um Iraq as well probably not quite to the same effect but that is his role as to, to be the lone striker um but we talk about versatility a lot having someone that can come on play on the left play on the right you could probably have him play as a 10 if you wanted to so that'll be important but there's so much to like about this um and there's a reason why there's been so much interest in him and the fact that Ipswich have managed to kind of take that initiative thrash out what looks to be like a, a good deal for them and uh bring in someone who's currently off on international duty to get that done quite rigorously and quickly I think um speaks volumes as to what kind of player they want to bring in and yeah there's a reason why there were so many interested parties this guy looks pretty special yeah, so that hopefully one deal done. Uh, Stu, let's talk about the state of play then in the transfer window. There'll be, of course, future stuff we'll be working on and all that stuff. But uh, where will Town get what they need? Obviously, we're looking at maybe, you know, fullback. Um, is there anywhere else? Another striker, obviously. Um, where are you at with that at the moment? Yeah, it's worth noting, actually, Al Hamadi might end up coming up against Cameron Burgess in the Asian Cup yet. Um they finished top of their group ahead of tournament favourites, Japan. I don't know what this I think they've just kicked off now in their last 16 game against Jordan. Um, Al Hamadi is not in the squad for that one. Um, he hasn't been a regular starter in the tournament. I think he only started their, their final um, group game. Um, yeah, and they've got a good chance of, of progressing deep into the tournament, which doesn't finish till February 10th. So, um yeah, it's going to be a big ask for him to have an instant impact, not just because of the, the divisions that he's stepping up, but he's going to have a, a delayed uh, link up with the squad. Then you've got to try and get him up to speed in terms of knowing everyone, understanding the style of play. McKenna talks about it takes players longer than most to kind of know exactly how their patterns of play are and everything like that. So I think it's a big ask for him to have a, an instant impact and hit the ground running and being a, a starter week in, week out. Um but as I said there, they want another striker. Um, and I think it will be a more of an, an established striker. Um, the second one, Kieran McKenna, for the first time on the record after the game at the weekend, said we want a couple. Um, Sam Gallagher at Blackburn is still uh, one of the plates that is spinning at the moment. Um, financially, I think they can get that done. He's effectively... Well, he's out of contract in the summer, but it's, they've got the 12-month option, so he's effectively a protected asset for 18 months. But Blackburn are in a position, I think it's um, pretty well known, that they need to raise some some funds. He's one of, if not their top earner by, by all accounts. I think he's quite keen to come here. Um, he's a sort of a, a, a hustle-bustle, high-press man, maybe Caden Jackson with a, with a few different strings to his bow um, type of striker. So... 
there's a chance they get that done, but I think that's a bit of a, a chain situation where Blackburn, given their stark drop-off in form, potentially even getting dragged into a relegation battle, they're not going to let him go without getting a replacement in. A bit of talk around Jerry Yates at the moment from Swansea, that they want that as a loan deal. Swansea would rather do it as a permanent. Can Blackburn afford that? So we'll have to see whether those dominoes fall. In the meantime, Ipswich have to have other options in play, other plates spinning. Um, you kind of have various deals on the go at various times, you know, and, and and hope that that one sort of comes off because you know that others out, outside of your control won't, you know, whether it be due to a chain or the an injury happening at a club, things can derail things quite quickly. So Kiefer Moore is still an option, I think, in play, but looking less likely as time's gone on. Um, that that will be an expensive loan given he's on decent Premier League money um, and there's several clubs all after him. We know now, having gone through the various lists, that there's not a huge number of number nines out there at the moment. Um, so if the likes of Leeds and other big guns in the Championship are at the table for key for more, Ipswich, there's been a lot of talk about needing to stay within profit and sustainability and financial fair play rules. I would say that's unlikely, but never say never on that one. And I'm sure there's there's some other things bubbling in the background that that we're not aware of yet as well. So um, intrigued to see how the striker situation plays out. And of less importance, you mentioned, is the fullback situation. But I do, do think they would like to do something there if they can. We mentioned Cameron Humphreys being the sort of backup to Leif Davis at the moment. In an ideal world, I think it's... They would like to get him out on loan and get sort of more regular game time. That would need someone to come in um, to back up Leif, Leif Davis at left back. Um, ideally, someone that could probably play both fullback positions, given Janoy Danassian has seen a specialist over his groin. We don't know what's happening with Brandon Williams still. Um, so, yeah, it, it looks like more of a sort of a, a left sider there. Marvin Johnson is someone that they've they're made inquiries about their managers talked about Ipswich need to to bid more than a zero pound upfront offer with some add-ons and things like that. From what I gather, it's it's been more than a zero pound offer from Ipswich, but they're not willing to pay much more than a nominal fee for someone who is 33 years of age. So we'll see if that happens. We did the report on Mark Bowler, former Middlesbrough left-back, who's out playing in Turkey at the moment. Um, uh, so... Um, I think that's a, if the right deal comes along for a left back that doesn't, you know, break the budget. Someone who can come in as a bit of a backup option, um, they'll do it. But if not, um, it's not the end of the world. Obviously, the the major major priority is is sorting the striker situation out. Yes, indeed. Watch this space, uh, AJ. Uh, how are you feeling going into the tran- uh, the deadline day? Um, and obviously, any other business from you? Yeah, been pretty good. I think that. Um... There's work to be done in town. Know that they need to do it, and they need they know what they can do, and within certain reasons. I think that is really important. We can't overlook that because so many clubs that we've seen have plummeted, have points deductions, all these kind of things because the owners have gone out, said we've got this kind of money, we're just going to spend it, and we'll figure everything out from there, and it's fine because we'll go up, and that'll be that'll be okay. Then we don't have to worry about that. So I think. You have to balance out. I know that there has been some frustrations about 
the window and even the summer window, for example, in terms of getting players in. But you have to balance that out with look at what happens if you don't get that balance right. Look at what happens if you are ran by owners who hinge everything on going up. And if that doesn't happen and there are points deductions and fines for, for getting it wrong, then those clubs plummet. You look at Reading and they're one of just many, for example, who've hit those kind of lows. So I think it's important to, to have that perspective because it's not as simple as saying, well, why don't town just go out and spend £10 million on a striker? You can't do that um, because otherwise your entire season could make or break your entire club. Um, and it's good that Ipswich are under ownership, but that doesn't happen. Um, any other business? Asian Cup? Pretty much it, to be perfectly honest. Um, sorry, Ross, I know you hate it. But yeah, I think the, the Baggett and Burgess head-to-head... I don't hate was, it. He does. I just, um, you know, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. The, the Baggett and Burgess head-to-head was the interesting one for me. I had an absolute nightmarish time trying to figure out what the permutations of India, sorry, India, Indonesia going through was. It was a nightmare because I had to watch or at least closely follow what was going on in Kyrgyzstan against Amman to then figure out whether um, Indonesia could go through. I had two different write-ups done of whether they'd go through or not, depending on whether Kyrgyzstan could score a late equaliser. They did go through, they went on to play Australia, um, and Elkan Baggett scored an own goal, and Indonesia lost 4-0. I don't think Cameron Burr just got onto the pitch in that game, from what I could see. So a little bit of uh, a dampener in that one. But also interesting to see that Indonesia have also come up against Iraq already, although um, Ali Alhamadi didn't play in that game. Um, that being said, Ali El Hamidi has played against Indonesia before, and there's quite an interesting clip of I can see Ross just trying to <laughs> pronounce it in his yeah. Um, there's quite an interesting clip of the uh, game Indonesia played against Iraq in a I think it was a World Cup qualifier, and um, Iraq won the game five one. I think it's the fifth goal Al Hamidi scores, and he sends Elkan Baggett flying, rushes past him, scores. I think Baggett ends up kind of rolling into the net at the end. Um, yeah, that's the kind of striker that town hopefully will be getting. So, yeah, that's that's the interesting one. It's always fun to keep a bit of an eye out on the Asian Cup because even like with Afcon, there's lots of fun upsets and things like that. Burgess not playing is not ideal for Ipswich, no. I have to say. Um, George Edmondson has come in to stepped in and done really well uh, in the last few games, but I do think Ipswich miss a little bit of left sided balance with him. I definitely think they miss a bit of aerial physicality. I've reeled off Ipswich having got a lot of tough games against the teams towards the top end of the table out the way. But if you look at some of the games where they've come unstuck this season, it has been against Rotherham and Huddersfield when they're physical scraps. And maybe this team just looks a bit of physicality is just lacking a little bit once you take a Burgess out of the team. And we spoke to Massimo Luongo recently about his decision to hang up his boots for Australia and and not go to the Asian Cup. And he said he's been to two Asian Cups before, one where he went away and he was player of the tournament and Australia won it. Uh, and he came back at absolutely sort of knackered and that, that had a physical effect on him. But he said the bigger physical effect was the, the second one that he went to where he didn't really play as much. He was just starting to fade out of the team and he came back and he felt like he was completely deconditioned. You get into the, the rhythm of a season, you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, you're training hard every day, your body gets into a certain condition, then you go to a tournament, the training isn't going to be the sort of intensity that an Ipswich train really hard. You speak to all the players, they they train like they play. You go there, you look in the middle of a tournament, you you know, it's pretty, fairly light training in between the games coming thick and fast. If you're not playing as well, 
you just come back in a slightly different condition. So, um, yeah, I've been slightly disappointed to see that Cameron's not been playing. He had to go because he's at the start of his international career and it's a great honour. And there's a world, you've got World Cups to think about and things like that. But um, that's not ideal from an Ipswich Town perspective for him not playing. Um, and Australia might end up going deep and Iraq might end up going deep. And I don't think the tournament finishes till till February 10th. So um, just, just something to keep an eye out from an Ipswich perspective. It's interesting when you look at that because his minutes since obviously the last game he played for Ipswich was the, the goalless draw against QPR. He then had a friendly against Bahrain. He played, started that one, played just over an hour. Since then, the only game he's had was 90 minutes against Syria in the group stages. Um, hasn't played a single minute even off the bench since then, which is a surprise because you actually look at Australia's games before then, even you know them being World Cup qualifiers and international friendlies. He's been playing quite a lot. So this is going to be a little bit of a culture shock. It's going to be the first time in a while that he's not had this kind of involvement in the team. So I yeah, definitely agree with what Stu said there. And it's interesting as well to see, I think there's a little bit of discontent in the Australia side just because the results have been there. I'm not necessarily thinking the performances have. We look at I mean, the group stage games they had, India, they won 2-0 just about. It wasn't a stunning performance. They, they beat Syria, but again, frustrations there. Then ended up drawing against Uzbekistan in their last game, in a game that could have, if they lost that, seen them finish second. So I'm not really sure what's going on there, to be perfectly honest, but it feels like the manager has kind of got a settled pairing, which is a concern because Cameron Burgess is going to want to play regular minutes in this competition and at international level in the future. But it looks like they've got Leicester City's Harry Suter and also Kai Rolls from hearts is kind of the the first choice too and yeah it remains to be seen how that's going to impact minutes for Burgess in the future that's why it's pointless it's bloody pointless but um obviously it's great to you know play for your country and all that I'm sure you know he's enjoying the experience and stuff because yeah I think this time last year of course he was playing well in league one but he wasn't you know anywhere near the Australian team I don't think um so yeah we shall see how Cameron Burgess does and um obviously Town's potential new signing as well. Um, well, boys, another pod in the books. Um, any other business from you, Stu? No, no business. Get back to working these phones on on the transfer situation. Um, we'll see what these next few few days has in store. It does feel to me like a lot about this season kind of hinges on what Ipswich can do in terms of strikers over the next few days. So, um, yeah, we'll see what we can find for you all. Indeed, yeah, keep keeping all our websites and all that sort of stuff and uh, we shall see what happens for the deadline. There'll be other future podcast videos and, and pieces we'll be working on, so um, you know, stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. And um, also, I think there's a deadline to sign up to our three months for £3 for all our town coverage. And also, even better, you can get a whole year at 50% off at the moment, £29 for 12 months for all the coverage, less than £2.50 a month. So if you want to get involved in the what we mentioned earlier, the prizes... Uh, get involved and subscribe. You can actually see our faces on this podcast as well. We, you can, and also all our other exclusive stuff. So check those out. I uh, hope you've enjoyed another Kings of Anglia podcast. We'll be back later in the week to bring you another one. And um, yeah, follow us on all our socials as ever. Manscape as well, fifty percent or no, twenty percent off, and free delivery with those. And uh, if you want stews, he's got five of them. So <laughs> give him a give him a text and uh, maybe can give you give one away already used. I'm joking. I'm joking. Give a little rinse under the tap first. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, uh, thanks again for everyone for listening, and bye for now.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.